I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Welcome to Radio Free Canada. News, notes, and opinions from the underground for Thursday, Feb 17th in the year of our Lord, 2022. So up in Ottawa right now, there is a very heavy police presence. No word if the heavily armed tactical squad is planning an attack on any of the jumpy castles. The problem is, who and what do they attack first? And the word is they brought in the uh, the Quebec cops because they like to do the dirty work. The Quebec cops are a different breed. I guess the Calgary cops were too busy arresting clergy. The Calgary uh, cops also a different breed. Boy, they've distinguished themselves over the last two years, haven't they? Wow. They're just nasty and thuggish. The Calgary cops are basically Premier Kenny's secret police. They bust into houses and arrest clergy. A great look for Canada. So the tactical squads will have to split it up, I guess. One goon squad will attempt to breach the jumpy castles. Another squad will rain down pain on some spontaneous ball hockey game. That has to be squashed. And then they'll swoop down and bust some heads, I guess, at one of the uh, the temporary huts where the truckers are dispensing food for the homeless. Can't have that. And then I guess they'll send another squadron with batons and riot shields uh, to push back those evil truckers that are busy shoveling and de-icing the sidewalks. Because that's really the nerve center of this operation, ladies and gentlemen. That's the head of the snake that must be decapitated. The sidewalk shovelers. They're a front. They're really just a bunch of radicalized, freedom-loving Trump supporters who are trying to overthrow a duly elected government. Well, anybody can see that. Well, at the same time, apparently, they don't want the good people of Ottawa to slip and fall. 
So our prayers go out to the brave police in Ottawa, sarcasm, who are charged with a very dangerous task. This will go down as one of Canada's galvanizing moments, right up there with Vimy Ridge and the Canadian forces who stormed the bridges in Normandy. Well done. Embarrassing. You know, there are some very noble and courageous men and women, mothers and fathers up in Ottawa who may be going to jail. And I, I support them. I salute them. They're on the right side of history. Meanwhile, we have this very sinister person who's suspicious side hustle. Her suspect side hustle is to serve on the board of directors of the World Economic Forum which promotes policies that are at cross-purposes of Canada. And to serve her master, Klaus Schwab, who hates the nation-state, who hates national sovereignty, whose organization serves a bunch of elites with more money than God who have zero allegiance to any flag. They have one thing in common. They hate borders and they hate the nation-state because the nation-state is a hindrance to the free flow of capital and labor. So you cannot, you cannot serve Klaus Schwab and his sinister Great Reset and serve this country and Christia Freeland and any other office holder in this country with ties to the World Economic Forum should be investigated. Now, here she is. Here's Christia seemingly trying to destabilize Canada's once- Great banking establishment. Why else would she make such an un unwarranted announcement, if not to destabilize our banks? Have a listen. So let me repeat what I said on Monday. If your truck is being used in these protests, your corporate accounts will be frozen. The insurance on your vehicle will be suspended. The consequences are real and they will bite. It is time for you to go home. And let me also be clear that we will have zero tolerance for the establishment of new blockades or occupations. We now have the tools to follow the money. We can see what is happening and what is being planned in real time. And we are absolutely determined that this must end. Think about it. Think about it if you're a foreign investor. Although why would anyone invest in this country? Lord knows. But there may be a few brave souls out there. Or maybe you're just an ordinary depositor. And you're watching the way this foreign asset, Christia Freeland, is dragging our Charter of Rights and Freedoms through the mud and then cavalierly announcing she's taking control over the financial institutions the way they used to do in the 80s in banana republics. Would you have faith in our banks and our credit unions? It sounds a lot like sabotage to me. God help us all when the political knives come out and Gropey is finally forced to walk the plank because you know Klaus Schwab has already anointed this shady character as the next prime minister. Can you imagine? God help us all. Here's another clown candidate extraordinaire. The unjustice minister and attorney general, 
warning who might have their assets frozen. Justice Minister Lametti. Look, you've just compared people who may have donated to this to the, the same people who are funding maybe a terrorist. I just want to be clear here, sir. This is really important. A lot of folks say, look, I just don't like your vaccine mandates, and I donated to this. Now it's illegal. Should I be worried that the bank can freeze my account? What's your answer to that? Well, if, I think if you if you are a member uh, of you know a pro-Trump movement who's donating hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to this kind of thing, then you ought to be worried. Maybe Lametti. Remember, this character was uh, attorney general during the SNC Lavalin scandal. And he was asked, why aren't you going after Trudeau? Well, Trudeau tells me he did nothing wrong. So I guess that's it then. Did you get your law degree? You won it in a raffle? You fool. I should be disbarred. He's a disgrace. Anyway, maybe this character in Freeland should go over their scripts before they go before an open mic. She says anyone with a truck at the protest could lose, well, everything. And then you have lame Lametti says, if you belong to a pro-Trump organization and you've donated thousands or millions, you should be worried. Which is it? Everyone with a truck or just the pro-Trump organizations? And does a Trump, a pro-Trump organization Lame Lametti include the Republican Party currently headed by Trump? Would that include, let's say, a United States senator who may have donated? Are you going to freeze his or her assets? That's a good look. Sure. Brilliant. And these clowns keep peddling the same pack of lies. And of course, it's amplified because they have a megaphone. Because the complicit collaborators in the lying left-wing media spread their lies. The big lie is that this whole insurrection, as they like to call it, is a MAGA plot. It's another January 6th. That is so rich. Any evidence? Here is conservative MP Dane Lloyd asking, speaking to this point. the Minister of Public Safety and the Minister for Emergency Preparedness have repeatedly stated that there is evidence of foreign extremist financing behind this convoy. Last week at Public Safety Committee, Deputy Director of Intelligence for FinTrack, Barry McKillop, stated that there is no evidence that this funding in Ottawa is tied to ideologically motivated extremism. Under further questioning, he stated that there has been no spike in suspicious transactions. Under what basis is this government freezing the bank accounts of Canadians in violation of Section 8 of the Charter against unreasonable search and seizure? The right honourable Prime Minister. Speaker, I think it is going to be extremely important that uh, in this House over the coming days there will be uh, Im uh, important and robust debate on many such issues. But I can highlight once again, Mr. Speaker, that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms continues to apply. Uh, the Emergencies Act is uh, subject to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and the measures that we've brought forward are proportional, measured, and responsible, uh, and uh, designed to get Canadians their lives back, their communities back, and restore their freedoms. Measured. Measured. If you have a truck at the protest, we're going to destroy your life. 
but they're measured and they're protected by the charter. Do you know how long it takes to launch a charter challenge? How much money it costs to charge uh, to uh, launch a charter challenge? Anyway, here we go again. No evidence because it's a lie. If the crime minister had evidence, he would have. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Taking the opportunity to answer the question instead of delivering another one of his patented non-answers. Speaking of which, has any liberal cabinet minister answered a single question in the last seven years? I mean, actually sincerely attempted to answer a question? No, they just put the earplug in their ear and wait for uh, Gerard Butts or uh, Schwabi to tell them how to answer. All right, so the uh, the debate is on in the House of Commons over the Emergency Act. It'll go on all weekend with a vote on Monday. And uh, if the uh, the motion to continue the Emergency Act doesn't pass either the House or the uh, the Senate, then it's over. So grab some popcorn, folks. This is going to be good. I mean, the optics are horrendous for this country. This is a stain that will not be easily removed. All right, another busy show. Uh, Despite all the horrible theater here in Canada, there is still a distinct possibility that Russia and Ukraine will go to war. We'll get the latest towards the tail end of the program when retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis drops by. Uh, Some great news for for normal parents who rightfully believe parents are in charge of their children's education, not a bunch of raving lunatics who sit on school boards, fed up parents in one of the most progressive radical left-wing jurisdictions in America. San Francisco have successfully recalled Three radical left-wing ideologue school trustees. Journalist, author Kenny Zhu, president of Colorist United, will be here with that story. The CCF, the Canadian Constitution Foundation, has just announced they're launching a legal challenge to the prime minister and his sinister band of creepy grifters. Uh, Christine Van Gyne, litigation director of the CCF, will be here. Thursdays, we push back against radical gender ideology. This is one of the most damaging things happening in our country right now, damaging to our children. Mia Ashton, a member of Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights, will be here. And Lord Lawton, Andrew Lawton, terrific reporter with a terrific independent news media group, True North, is either on his way or has arrived in Ottawa, I believe, just in time to witness thuggish cops from Quebec stealing puppies from truckers or threatening to take their children away. He's here next to discuss the Emergency Act, and the State of the Freedom Convoy protest. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Thursday, Feb 17th, 2022, with a special a special message for Klaus Schwab and all his evil minions at the World Economic Forum. Pound sand. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. 
tell you in a few years, it's going to be one of those heritage moments that you see on television. Right up there with Canadian forces storming the beaches in Normandy, Canada's heroic actions at Vimy Ridge during WW1. It will be Quebec thuggish cops storming jumpy castles, impromptu ball hockey games in, uh, in Ottawa. A proud Canadian moment. Lord Lawton, Andrew Lawton, a terrific reporter with a terrific independent news organization, True North, is uh, with us. Andrew, how are you? Hey, I'm well. It's funny, I've been in the uh, war zone that is downtown Ottawa for about eight hours now, and I've yet to see the total carnage that we've been told is supposed to be on the streets around us. I, I thought I'd be like, you know, dodging sniper fire and uh, uh, basically, no, not even not even so much as a bouncy castle injury. Uh, well, that's good news. So, but describe the police presence. Are they, um, I saw some videos on social media of the, the police, you know, practicing some t- type of maneuver just outside of town. And then we see them, you know, marching and lockstep uh, along the streets. Describe the police presence in where you are now. So it's a bit interesting because I'm seeing more of it online than I've actually seen around on the street. Uh, police have said that they have 100 checkpoints set up around the downtown, and they're supposedly preventing anyone who doesn't have what they say is a lawful reason to be in the perimeter from going in there. Now, uh, no one questioned me as to whether my reason for being here was sufficiently or, or insufficiently lawful. Um, I'm Once I finish speaking with you, actually heading right back to Parliament, to the main Parliament buildings, that main area in front of there, just to see uh, how they're managing the flow of it. But ultimately, I mean, there are more police around. I, I've seen police handing out those notices, warning people that they could be charged, but I've not seen any removals at this point. So they are continuing to distribute these uh, these threatening leaflets, I guess. And uh, how are they being received uh, by the truckers? Uh, and what is the have you seen any interaction between police and truckers? Is it still cordial and cooperative? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I mean, one of the first things that right when I got to downtown, one of the first things I saw was a, a conversation between a couple of police officers with these leaflets and a group of, of protesters, and they had been handed leaflets yesterday. They were handed the uh, the updated version today. Uh, yesterday's were blue, today's were red. I have no idea if that's uh, significant in any way whatsoever. And they had a very cordial exchange. They were obviously not seeing eye to eye on, on the fundamental question of, of is it legal or, or ethical to be downtown, but uh, but the conversation w- was very civil, certainly. And... Um... Uh, the uh, the tow trucks, any sign of tow trucks being uh, utilized? No, although interestingly enough, I did uh, hear from a, a colleague of mine who's also downtown that uh, within the last hour, one truck that's been parked in front on Wellington Street for three weeks has left. Now, it appears from, from everything we've seen like they've left on their own. I don't know the why. I, I don't even know the person. I've not interviewed them before, but... Uh, one particular truck has has gone on their own. So, uh, again, there's a lot that that could be. It could be they're succumbing to threats. Maybe they have a medical emergency. I don't know. But that's been the only movement I've seen, not anything involving tow trucks. Uh, have you um, talked to anybody about these, uh, you know, these messages coming out from Children's Aid warning parents, if you have children there, you better make you better make, uh, you know, provisions, because if you go to jail, 
who's going to take care of your kids? Or if you have a pet, you know, it's going to be put in a shelter uh, for eight days and then you're going to lose it. Uh, what's what kind of a, a chill uh, or impact has that had on the truckers, do you think? Look, I, I haven't seen many kids or pets around, and, and that's not all that dissimilar from when I was here the first time three weeks ago. There were a number of people who had brought kids out for a couple of hours to come out for the day. But as far as the people that are living in the trucks and, and even living in the hotels around, it's just not a place that has a huge number of kids. There are some, but not a huge number. So I think that a lot of this might be a bit overblown. I'm not to say that the that it's not important to pay attention to the rhetoric and to the messaging from those agencies. But I think they're also setting up this narrative that there's a bigger problem in that space than there actually seems to be on the ground. Andrew, we'll take a quick time out. I know you got to get back to the Hill. You're busy. We appreciate your time. I'll just uh, get you to hold on for a few more minutes yet. Some important questions remain. Andrew Lawton from True North, host of the Andrew Lawton Show. And uh, you can read his terrific work at Lawton dot substack.com andrew dot lawton dot substack.com back to more of our conversation right after these let's get back at it on news talk saga 960 a.m it's the richard sarah show andrew lawton true north stays with us host of the andrew lawton show and uh, I'm, i want to make a correction i think i said andrew dot lawton uh, it's andrew lawton dot substack.com Andrew Lawton, L-A-W-T-O-N dot substack dot com, where you can read his uh, his fine work. Uh, so the um, the announcement by Freeland that the uh, all of the banking information has been given to the RCMP um, and that they can you know start to investigate and, and, and start freezing accounts and so forth. How do you think that that plays internationally. I mean, how does that make our once stable banking system look uh, that we have uh, a, a government that is, you know, monitoring transactions and ordering the police to go in and, and, uh, and give the information to banks and ordering them to freeze accounts? How does that look, do you think, Andrew? Well, I think it makes, I mean, just taking the convoy completely out of the equation, it makes Canada look a lot less competitive as a place to have any investments. If I'm someone who has a portfolio that spans uh, countries around the world, now obviously we're talking about a small subset of the population, but nevertheless, it's it's, uh, people whose uh, business the country normally wants to have. I'd be thinking twice about having any finances in Canada if the government's going to set this precedent that they're going to start freezing the accounts of their political opponents, which is precisely what they're doing. There's no two ways about it. They want to say, oh, this isn't about civil liberties. No, it is. If you're going after people's money without a court order, suspending due process, it's entirely about civil liberties. The the messaging here, uh, not surprisingly, is very confused. You have Freeland saying, if you have a truck in in the protest, we're going to we're going to freeze your accounts. We're going to suspend your insurance. You know, we're going to we're going to damage you financially. We're going to ruin you. Uh, anyone who has a truck in the protest, you know, I, we're watching you. And then you've got the uh, the justice minister, Lametti, basically saying, well, you should be worried if you belong to some pro Trump organization and you've invested thousands or millions of dollars. So which is it? Is it everybody, according to Freeland, who's involved in this or just, you know, those uh, those unicorns out there, those pro-Trump organizations that are supposedly funneling millions of dollars into this insurrection. Which is it? 
Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Well, I mean, I, I actually took what David Lametti said slightly differently than you. I, I thought when he gave that number of hundreds of thousands or millions, he was talking in the aggregate, not about individual donors. I think what he was trying to do was, was not just go after individual heavy hitters, but the entire movement, anyone who has donated to even being a small sliver of the pie of funds that have been raised for the convoy. And in doing so, you're right, he, he was remarkably and perhaps accidentally honest there that the issue is pro-Trump. Well, well, hang on. Justin Trudeau, Marco Mendicino, Christopher Lynn, they've all been saying this is a group trying to overthrow the government. It's undemocratic. It's violent. It's hateful. For David Lametti, it's, oh, they're pro-Trump. That's all it takes. That's all it takes to have your funds frozen in Canada. Right. I was asking the question rhetorically, would that include the Republican Party? Because that's a pro-Trump organization and, and Trump remains its titular leader. Would that mean, let's say, a U.S. senator that may have donated some money could have, uh, you know, uh, they could go after a, a U.S. senator? I don't know. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is this the debate now that's going on in the House. And, and this is going to go on, my understanding is, all weekend, right? They're going to vote on the Emergency Act on Monday. Um, why are they why are they debating this for four days? I mean, that's 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 longer than the Emergency Act has been in in uh, operation. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if uh, there is a, a statutory period of debate that has to be there. I know that the law does address the timeline of when it has to be debated. I don't know if they have a, a rule about how long. Uh, so, so there may be something there. At the same time, I don't want this to be rushed in in some ways. But there's another part of me that says, well, the longer this debate goes on, the longer it's in effect. Remember, the Emergency Act is already in play. It's already been deployed. It's already law. The, the legislation is about whether the parliament accepts that. So, I mean, yeah, if they were to debate it for a month, then there's basically no parliamentary ability to do anything about it because the debate has outlasted the so-called emergency that Trudeau has declared. So I do think that swiftness is a, an asset here. But at the same time, I also don't want it to come because the government's been shutting down very necessary debates. Uh, so it's got to pass uh, the House and it has to pass the Senate. And do you have any sense of how that vote will go? I mean, I know the bloc will vote with the conservatives. Uh, is there enough of a rift in the NDP? Maybe some uh, liberal caucus members that would vote against it. How do you see this playing out? I, there are certainly going to be a couple of Liberal caucus members that I keep an eye out for, not the least of which is Joel Lightbound, who was very critical about his government's handling of the pandemic and also of, of the convoy in the last few days. But no, I, I think you're going to see this on party lines mainly. The bloc is going to vote against it. The conservatives are vote, going to vote against it. 
But I think the NDP is, is when push comes to shove, going to go along with it, which is uh, quite a disgraceful turn on how that party has always viewed these measures and certainly would if a conservative government were trying to put them through. And what about the Senate quickly? Do you think uh, it'll pass the Senate? Uh, you know, I, I was chatting actually with a, a conservative senator just uh, casually uh, when I ran into them uh, earlier today. And uh, there wasn't a lot of optimism there just because of the numbers. The vast majority of the Senate is liberal appointed. And even if some of them might want to throw up some barriers here and there on the odd bill, a lot of them have their loyalty for their jobs, thanks to Trudeau. Oh, dear. Not good. Not good. Andrew, how do we watch the Andrew Lawton show? Well, you you were right with the no dot. It's the uh, or just uh, just the one dot. It's andrewlawton.substack.com, and people can also uh, catch my podcast at andrewlawtonshow.com. All right, take care, my friend, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much for this. A- anytime, thanks, Richard. Andrew Lawton. All right, when we come back, we'll push back against radical gender ideology. Mia Ashton from Cosbar will be here. Stay with us. You're listening to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, nine sixty a.m. back thursdays we push back against radical gender ideology and it is one of the most serious and damaging forces out there today damaging to our children i mean and uh, it's something that we talk a lot about on this program we dedicate one day out of the week a portion of one day out of the week to discuss it mia ashton is a writer and one of the founding members of COSBAR. That's Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. This is an organization that really has emerged as a counterforce. They're pushing back. They're talking about it. They're doing great work. And uh, Mia is here with a whole host of um, stories that you need to know about. Mia, welcome. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm well. I want to start with a, uh, it's a sad story. It was a a 20-year veteran of uh, the teaching occupation. And uh, just announcing on uh, Twitter, I guess it goes by the, uh, the handle, Old Man Jenkins. He writes, I'm very sad today. Tomorrow I have to go and clear out my classroom. I was fired for trying to find a compromise to using a preferred pronoun in a grade six class for one student. I've been teaching for over 20 years. I love children, but I couldn't participate in the lie. What do we know about uh, Old Man Jenkins? We don't know an awful lot about him yet because he is anonymous and uh, unfortunately his Twitter account is restricted at the moment. So I couldn't, he did write a thread explaining a little bit more about what had happened, but it's not, I couldn't get to it because his account is restricted. But what we do know is that he is in Ontario. I managed to discover that he is not with the Toronto District School Board. He had said that somewhere. Um, And he is awaiting the final decision by his school board, but that he has already had to clean out his classroom under the watchful eye of administration, he said. Um, He's now on no income. He could retire on a partial pension, but that might affect his chance of being reinstated if they say, well, he's just retired. He doesn't, he, he voluntarily retired. So he says that he's a Christian, but then he never tried to push his religious beliefs onto the students in the classroom, but that he he tried to circumvent the pronoun use by using the, the student's name, but this wasn't enough. 
and so he's lost his job. That's that's just absolutely bizarre. That you, you certainly could circumvent that situation by using a student's name. I mean, that's a very easy solution, uh, and yet they're insisting on what Dr. Jordan Peterson warned us would happen, and that is this idea of compelled speech for the first time in a, in a Western liberal democracy. Not only are you uh, banned from using certain words, you are compelled, compelled under state penalty to use certain words. So he, he, was, he was fine with using the student's name, but he just wouldn't, he wouldn't use the student's preferred pronouns because he said he wouldn't participate in a lie. Is that pretty much it? That's it. So I think, I, I'm assuming anyway, that he sees the harm of this lie. And we are, after all, talking about grade six. This is elementary school. So this is a young person who has yet to form their true identity. They're going through major change and developmental changes. So I think he probably sees the harm and didn't, just in, in good conscience, could not go along with it. Well, it's it's actually, you know, uh, quite courageous, I think, on his part, you know, uh, willing to totally put his money where his mouth is, stand up on principle and willing to get fired rather than, again, participate in uh, in this lie. Well, it's very courageous. And I I did see one thing that I did manage to find on his Twitter account is talk of um, taking it to the Human Rights Commission, the Human Rights Tribunal in Ontario, and also a charter challenge. Um, against compelled speech in education so that this doesn't keep on happening. Mia Ashton is with us. She's a writer and one of the founding members of COSBAR, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. I want to talk about this uh, this voyeur that was uh, in a unisex um, uh, washroom on a UBC campus and uh, was caught uh, trying to videotape uh, a woman in a washroom stall. Tell me about this story. Oh, well, he succeeded on, um, he was recording her, so the, it's a gender neutral bathroom, so he was in one stall, he slipped his phone underneath the divider between the stalls, and he filmed her, she confronted him, it went to court, two years later, he pleaded guilty, and it, it came out at some point that he had, she was the only one who caught him, but that he had done it to five or six other women, I think the previous day. So this brings up the, the issue of gender neutral spaces. And we know, I'm quite sure we can tell why they, they have gender neutral spaces. It's so they don't have to deal with the bathroom row of uh, where do transgender people go into the one, the, the space for the opposite sex or the, they just abandoned sex segregated spaces entirely, but we know that that puts women at risk. And this case is clear evidence of that. We know this, uh, the convicted voyeur, uh, did, did he try and claim that he identified as a woman and, or did he try to provide any defense as to why he was in that gender neutral space? He did not, he did not identify as a woman because it is a gender neutral space he had every right to be in there. And so it, it raises the issue of really why, why would you mix spaces? The only reason to take away a woman's right to female, the safety of female only spaces is to accommodate the transgender community. We know that women are at risk, are at risk in these spaces as this has demonstrated this man 
the, the two of the most common sex offenses are exhibitionism and voyeurism. Uh, they don't, it doesn't have to be rape, it doesn't have to be violent assault. Um, and we know that males commit most sex offenses. Uh, that's, that plays out in every country all over the world where, where, there, where there are crime statistics. And we also learned from the story that uh, this case almost didn't proceed uh, to court. They didn't want to proceed with the court of the case because they were worried about the convicted individual's uh, future, I guess, as a result. Um, Mia, we, we've got to take a time out. We'll come back. Uh, I want to talk about this uh, six-year-old boy, I believe, in the UK who's been accused, a six-year-old boy accused of transphobia because he was confused by a gender-fluid boy in his class. We'll be back to discuss that and other uh, stories right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. I talk about how damaging this radical gender ideology is and and radical uh, trans activism. I'm not talking about transgendered individuals. I'm talking about radical trans activists uh, who may or may not be transgendered. And, 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 and how it's damaging to children. Here's a perfect example. Not surprisingly, perhaps, in the UK, officials at a primary school there warned the parents of a six-year-old that he would be deemed transphobic if he expressed confusion when a pupil he knew as a boy was wearing a dress. Imagine a six-year-old being labeled transphobic. He doesn't even know what that means. He, he would have no understanding of what that word even means. Uh, Mia Ashton stays with us, founding member of COSBAR, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. Tell me more about this, uh, this chilling story, Mia. Yes. So this six-year-old boy goes to school on the Isle of Wight. That's an island off the south coast of England. And in his class, there is, or was, I don't think he's not still in the school now, there was a um, gender-fluid six-year-old boy. Now, gender-fluid means that you are one day a girl, one day a boy, and it flips back and forth. And and so on your boy day, you have he-him pronouns, and on your girl day, you have she-her. So this six-year-old boy at the center of the story was confused by the fact that this child that he knew to be a boy was coming to school wearing a dress and he had to pretend that this boy was a girl and refer to him as she, her. And so when the parents complained, they received an astonishing letter from the head teacher, which said students would be viewed transphobic if they demonstrated an inability to believe a transgender person is actually a real male or female. But this is a boy who one day is male and another day is wearing a dress and, and you're supposed to pretend that that's a real female. And it's a six-year-old boy. So when you it's bad enough that adults have to deal with this nonsense and go along with it but when you subject a child to that that's a form of psychological abuse and they're telling this child that he must adopt the the the, the appropriate pronouns and that he he cannot um, show discomfort or an inability to trust someone based on their transgender status he cannot show discomfort that is verboten uh, under penalty of what expulsion from the school that, that part's not clear because the parents removed him from Thank the God. school. Thank God. 
and they have been granted permission for a judicial challenge to the Department for Education. So they are going to challenge the inclusion of these policies. But I, I did see an interview that the parents did, and they seem to be very well versed in this. They they understand the social contagion factor. They understand the harm of gender ideology in the schools. So, and they said that the judicial re- review would address that too. Is this a is this an isolated uh, case or a, a remarkable case or? Is this happening more and more in the UK and perhaps even here in Canada, God forbid? Well, as you can probably tell from my accent, I am from the UK. I am from England. And I I often look to back home as they're making great progress because in September of 2020, they actually did the the Department for Education, made it very clear that you must not um, reinforce harmful stereotypes. All teaching materials must be evidence-based. They're really shifting into the right direction, which is why I was surprised by this story. But the fact that they've been given the permission to do a judicial challenge, I think, is is very a positive thing. But I've spoken to Ontario teachers. It's not common with elementary schools, but I've spoken to Ontario teachers, high school teachers who have gender fluid children in their class. So they must chop and change the pronouns from day to day or whenever they change their gender. Uh, may have some uh, some more potentially encouraging news, and again, this is coming from uh, south of the border and uh, uh, Missouri and Alabama. Tell me about they've introduced two new bills in those states, uh, which seek to prohibit medical procedures for minors, including hormones and surgeries for gender questioning youth. This is a, a, a huge development. It is. Both both states have um, what, what's especially good, I think, is it's under 18s. Um, so they they are treating under 18s as if anybody, um, including puberty blockers, hormone surgeries, they want them all banned, bringing it more in line with um, Sweden and Finland. They've already done this. They've they've looked at the evidence or lack thereof, and they have halted pediatric medical transition because there is no evidence for it. So I believe Utah also has something in the works as well. And then we ha- we all already have Arkansas. They passed something last year, I think. And I think Texas, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think we may have discussed this. Uh, either the attorney general in Texas or the governor is going after the pharmaceutical company that that uh, makes these drugs that are used basically for things like chemical castration. Yes, that's the way to do it. I think go after the puberty blocker manufacturers, the people who are pushing this onto onto these children. But also, yeah, we do need laws like this. We're so far from this in Canada. I I hope that something seeps over the border to us and we we finally catch up because we have nothing in the works like this at all. No, as uh, with so many things in this country, we are dreadfully behind the curve. Um, And I'm I'm not sure I understand why entirely, but uh, that's what we have to deal with. So we just have to keep pushing and shining a light on it. And thanks to groups like Cause Bar and Billboard Chris, um, you know, it's it's starting to gain traction slowly, slowly, but uh, we're, we're going to get there. Mia, thank you so much, as always. Thank you. Mia Ashton, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. All right. Uh, plenty of show still to come. Hour two coming up after the news. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired. He's a former Airborne Ranger, infantry officer, 
He's uh, an author. He'll be here to discuss, uh, well, he'll give us the latest on uh, the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And uh, that, that situation just seems to be changing minute by minute. Kenny Sue is uh, Kenny Shu rather is a president of Color Us United. He's a journalist and uh, author of An Inconvenient Minority. Great news out of one of the most radical progressive jurisdictions anywhere in North America. That would be, of course, San Francisco. And um, parents there are fed up, fed up. Even uh, Democrat parents are fed up uh, with the school trustees and things like critical race theory and their handling of the pandemic, they have recalled, successfully recalled, three school trustees in radically progressive San Francisco. If it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. That is encouraging news. Kenny Shu uh, will be here. And uh, also, the Canadian Constitution Foundation, they do great work. They've emerged as heroes as well during the pandemic. They've just announced they're launching a legal challenge to Trudeau's invocation of the Federal Emergencies Act. We had some bad news from Andrew Lawton a little earlier uh, that it looks like it could pass the House and the Senate, which means we may have to live with uh, the War Measures Act for some time. Unless, of course, the CCF can successfully uh, challenge it in court. We'll find out uh, when Christine Van Gein joins us. She's the litigation director there. All right, hour two awaits. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Reminder coming up a little bit later, U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis will be here to talk about the fluid situation between Ukraine and Russia. And uh, Kenny Shu, president of Color Us United, journalist and author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy, will be here to talk about, well, I know it's an American story. Uh, but it's an encouraging one, and that is parents that are fed up with the way their school trustees are ignoring them because parents ultimately are the uh, primary educators of children 
public schools need to learn that lesson. So these parents have successfully recalled three school trustees in deep blue. It doesn't get any bluer than San Francisco. So if it could happen in San Francisco, uh, it can happen everywhere. And it's a lesson to be learned here in Canada. We have to start paying attention to the school trustees, the school boards. That's where all the nonsense begins. That's how we take back the country. First with the school boards. All right. Well, the news is potentially not good in terms of the, um, the parliamentary debate on the Emergencies Act. Looks, according to Andrew Lawton, anyway, at True North, they will vote along party lines. I thought perhaps there might be enough brave liberal caucus members, maybe from Quebec, to vote against the Emergencies Act. Maybe I thought there, there would be a, a greater rift within the, uh, the NDP and they would vote as well um, with the uh, conservatives in the block. But it looks like they'll vote along party lines. That means it'll pass the House. And of course, there are more uh, liberal senators in the Senate. That means it's here. To, it's here. To, it's going to remain the Emergency Act. Unless, of course, unless, of course, we get some relief in the courts. And uh, that's where the Canadian Constitution Foundation has stepped to the fore yet again. They are launching a legal challenge to the invocation of the Federal Emergency Act. Christine Van Gyne is litigation director at the CCF. She joins us now. Christine, welcome back. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. So what is the actual threshold for declaring a a public order emergency in the Emergency Act? Yeah, that's a really good question, because the threshold is is quite high. Um, First, the government needs to declare that there's an emergency and they need to explain which type of emergency. There there are four types set out in the act. And the government has said that this constitutes a public order emergency. In order to qualify as that, it needs to be an emergency that arises from threats to the security of Canada that's so serious as to be a national emergency. And it must also seriously threaten the ability of the government of Canada to preserve the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Canada. So that's a really high threshold. We don't have all of the evidence that the government's relying on, but it does not appear that that threshold has been made out. The other thing that the uh, the act requires is that the crisis exceed the capacity or authority of the province to deal with it. And that's, that is a really important threshold requirement because as we've seen, the, the provincial governments have been able to successfully clear the blockades at the borders. They, they did not need a federal declaration of a state of emergency in order to achieve that. So there are existing law enforcement tools, there are tools in the criminal code, there, there's existing legislation that the government can use to deal with the protesters on that block in front of parliament, uh, if, if they would like to do so. And I, I think it's probably time that they that they do. I think it's t- I think it's time to for those protesters to move on, but they do not need to declare a state of emergency in order to do that. So we're seeking a judicial review of the invocation of the act of the order in council that has has the, the government issued on Monday. Um, that would be at the federal court. We are planning to file mid next week and have it heard on an expedited basis. 
And would um, a counsel for the for the, the the government would they have to present evidence that it meets the threshold? Sorry, I just had another call come in. I missed that question. That's what, okay. What? That's okay. Would would the uh, would lawyers from the government then also appear in federal court, and would they be obliged to present evidence proving that that uh, what's happening in Ottawa and elsewhere meets this high threshold? Yes, they would. They they need to, and the government may be given some deference, but I think less deference than they might normally be given. Um, this this is an, a declaration of a state of emergency that's really confined to a small area that that's been made clear by the government. So it it makes it even less likely that it rises to the threshold of a national emergency. But yes, there there is a possibility that the government has some evidence that for national security reasons, uh, they cannot reveal. And there are procedures that exist in the court in order to deal with that. Um, if it if it comes to that, if they do say that they have such evidence, uh, I'd, I'd frankly be surprised if they do, but you know, that that may be the case. And in, if that is the case, then the court can appoint what's called an amicus who can review the evidence while keeping it confidential, but presenting our interests um, and, and it can be dealt with that way. But yes, the government does have to meet that burden of showing that the, the threshold has been met. And so uh, the prime minister, you know, stands up in the house and says, this is, uh, this is measured. Uh, this is a measured response. Uh, and that, you know, all of these uh, powers are uh, kept in check by the charter. Are they really? I mean, and how practical is that? Let's say, for example, uh, a truck driver has their their truck confiscated, they have their insurance canceled, and they have all of their assets frozen in a bank. Uh, what they're supposed to launch a charter challenge that could take you know five years and a million dollars. Well, the legislation, the Emergencies Act, is subject to the charter is a piece of ordinary legislation, although it is extraordinary in its powers. It is subject to the charter, but just because a piece of legislation exists doesn't mean that legislation doesn't violate the charter in the way it's being exercised. And we, our, our claim is not a charter claim. Our claim is, is actually a judicial review that the government is invoking this act unlawfully. But I think that there are charter concerns that people should have. For example, I think that there's a serious Section 8 concern around some of these uh, financial freezing and seizures that the government is initiating. Um, Section 8 protects your right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. And um, the the notion of seizing and freezing assets without a court order um, is, is presumptively unreasonable. So um, there are charter concerns there. The government, while the legislation is subject to the charter, that doesn't mean everything the government does is always charter compliant. Every piece of legislation is subject to the charter that doesn't mean the government never violates our charter rights. They do. Uh, I, obviously, we wish you well and we uh, a lot riding on this. We hope you're successful because it does appear as if, uh, again, the House of Commons and the Senate, they'll vote along party lines and the Emergency Act will not be dissolved, at least in Parliament. If you're not successful, uh, how long could this Emergency Act last for? Could they just keep renewing it indefinitely? The Emergencies Act is in force once it's initiated for 30 days. So that would begin after Parliament uh, accepts this and votes on it. 
And so it'd be enforced for 30 days. After 30 days, it automatically expires unless it is renewed. So it could be renewed. This is another concern I think we should have because the there are provincial governments that have continually renewed states of emergency. Um, Quebec had uh, renewed their state of emergency many, many times throughout the pandemic. Ontario actually made legislative changes that extended emergency powers even though the state of emergency had ended. So this is something we should be concerned about. I, I, I don't know if the federal government would renew it, but it's something that we should, we should keep our eye on, of course. And again, uh, give us again, the, you've, uh, you've asked for an expedited hearing. Give us the particulars again, when this could take place and where. So we're hoping to file by next week. It would be at the federal court. Um, the location of that court can be can be all over. It could be in Ottawa or it could be in Toronto. We'll be filing in Toronto, but that doesn't mean it will be heard in Toronto. And the timeline, even though expedited, we're hoping for this to be heard before the 30 days expire because obviously after it expires, it could become moot, although we still do think that this legislation, because it's never been invoked before, um, it should be interpreted by a court. So even if it even if it wasn't heard until after we we still would like to proceed, but we're hoping to have it heard before that. We obviously have to file materials and schedule a hearing date and ask for it to be expedited. Um, so I don't have a firm answer for you yet on that. How do we support the Canadian Constitution Foundation, Christine? We're fundraising for this specific case at the ccf.ca slash emergencies act. That's plural emergencies act. Um, you can also visit the ccf.ca and, and you should be able to find a link there. We're, we're a charity. We're a registered Canadian legal charity. So um, we do issue uh, tax receipts for, for donations. So if anyone's interested in supporting this really important fight, uh, I, I, I encourage you to visit the site to learn more and, and make a donation if you're able. And on top of everything else, Christine, you're also host of Canada Justice TV. How do we watch? You can watch that every weeknight on the news forum. That's channel 1514 on Bell and channel 107 on Rogers. And I'm filming three episodes tomorrow. One is about solitary confinement. Um, and another is about the uh, a recent case about about mathematics and teachers in, in Ontario. And, and a third is about um, a sexual assault case that was recently heard by the Supreme Court. So some really diverse and interesting topics that always keep me learning more. Christine, uh, great work. Uh, and everyone at the CCF, uh, thank you so much for everything that you do. Thanks so much for having me. Christine Van Gyne is the litigation director at the CCF and again, host of Canada Justice TV. All right, when we come back, a little fact check this. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. How do we determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading? Fact check this. Welcome back. I stepped on the liner again. All right. Uh, if you want evidence just how incredibly delusional and unhinged is Jugmeet Singh, the leader of the Marxist radical Marxist New Democratic Party. Have a listen to this uh, exchange where he tries to explain why the Freedom Convoy represents some kind of dangerous insurrection. Have a listen to this nonsense. It's no secret that the convoy stated their mission, which was to overthrow the government. It sounds ludicrous, but they brazenly 
posted that on their website and they reiterated it. Order, order. It's no secret that the goal of this convoy posted brazenly on their website, reiterated as recently as earlier this week in a press conference, was to overthrow a democratically elected government. That was their goal. So the leader, the interim leader of the Conservative Party says, we have heard you, we will keep standing up for you. Do you regret endorsing a convoy that is attacking the fundamental democracy of our country? Do you regret endorsing and supporting an occupation that has harassed citizens? Do you regret endorsing a movement which has lost... Porter, Porter. But I'll let the leader of the opposition answer uh, answer the question. Thanks, Mr. Speaker. And obviously, nobody in this House uh, believes that a government should be overthrown. Although I have seen that members, colleagues had a number of pro-communist marches, and so exactly. not sure if that means he endorses communism. Is when history looks back on this, Conservatives will have stood up with Canadians, millions of Canadians, vaccinated Canadians, Canadians who are blue-collar workers, Canadians who are white-collar workers, Canadians who have had enough of a Prime Minister who has divided, wedged, stigmatized and traumatized them. And the party that will have stood with that Prime Minister is that member and his NDP colleagues, and it's shameful. It's only through some quirky... Uh, element of our parliamentary system that someone this unhinged and delusional leading a uh, a ragtag bunch of radical Marxists has any political influence in this country. I think the last time I checked there, they might be sitting around what, 15% in the polls. They have 25 MPs. Jagmeet Singh has proven himself to be a complete failure as leader. It was just a, a few elections ago that the late Jack Layton led the NTP to previously uh, never before seen a success. Each election he's dropped, he's bled more and more seats. However, that is the, uh, the, the system that we have. But he's also a complete liar. When he talks about the Freedom Convoy's stated objectives being to overthrow the government, that is a complete fabrication. Convoy uh, spokesperson, Benjamin Dichter, who's been on the program, uh, he was on Jordan Peterson's podcast a while ago. He was asked to outline the convoy's values and goals. Let me share those with you. Here's a, a transcript provided by a True North. Again, this is Benjamin Dichter, convoy spokesperson. The Freedom Convoy is a peaceful and loving demonstration based on the principles of unity and respect for all Canadians. We have come to Ottawa with two very simple demands. One, the government end all COVID mandates. And two, the federal government remove its digital COVID tracking app called ArriveCan as a requirement to re-enter Canada. We have not anticipated the thirst of freedom in all, in, um, 
in all Canadians after two long years of restrictions and harsh lockdowns, which in the minds of sensible Canadians are not in the spirit of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and our esteemed Constitution. The supporters of our convoy have come from all walks of life and have been a source of unification for Canadians from across all provinces and cultures. We are not a group interested in identity politics or racial divisions. We are, in fact, open to all people who want to share their love and help us with the revival of the Canadian identity. The Freedom Convoy leadership spans the country and comes from various Indigenous, rural, and urban communities, all who have an ambition for unification and freedom. Our demands have not changed from day one. End the mandates and end the passports, and we will all go back home to our communities and our businesses and help Canada heal from the COVID years. There have been many demands attributed to us that are not our demands, primarily from the legacy media. We do not want to overthrow the government. We do not want to remove any of our elected officials from power. That's what elections are for. We do not want to confront. We do not want confrontation with the good people of law enforcement within our organization and within our crowds. We have countless first responders and military veterans who are all proud of the Ottawa police. We do not wish for military action. We want nothing other than for our peaceful and loving demonstrations, as well as our community outreach to help inspire our fellow Canadians to have a voice and to appreciate the freedoms which we are fortunate enough to have and which many others in the world struggle to achieve. We would also ask that our political class and the legacy media tone down their rhetoric. The era of slander and indiscriminately labeling fellow citizens with pejoratives or as racist needs to come to an end. Yeah, that sounds like an insurrection, doesn't it? Jugmeet Singh, delusional, unhinged. And we all suffer for it. All right, when we come back, Kenny Shu, president of Colorist United, will tell us what's happening with the school board in deep blue San Francisco. That conversation in three minutes. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Hey, Art. It is possible to affect change You know that old saying, you can't fight City Hall? Well, you can fight City Hall, but you can also fight the local school board. And uh, showing us the way are a bunch of fed-up parents in San Francisco. I don't think there's much argument that that is the most radically progressive, deep, deep blue jurisdiction anywhere in North America. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. 
time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. And the parents there are fed up with the, uh, the radicals on the local school board. And they were actually able, they held a vote. They were able to recall three of the worst offenders, three of the worst, most radical school trustees on the San Francisco school board. This is encouraging. Now, I don't believe, we, well, we don't have a mechanism like that here in Canada or in Ontario. Maybe once New Blue sweeps to power, that's something they might want to consider. Empowering parents with a recall mechanism. We're just waiting on uh, Kenny Shu. He's president of Color Us United, journalist and author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. And he's going to tell us all about it. Kenny Shu, welcome back to the program. How are you? Hey, thanks so much for having me again. My pleasure. So uh, tell us about, first of all, these three school trustees in San Francisco uh, that raised the ire of these uh, these fed up parents that voted to recall them. Who who are these individuals, and what 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 did they do? So I would consider these individuals on the left side of progressive. Um, basically, they don't believe in merit based education, or at least they wanted to undermine the merit based admissions process at Lowell High School, which is the number one high school in San Francisco. Initially, you're supposed to get in with grades and test scores. Then they said that was racist because there are too many Asians admitted. The school was 75% Asian. Um, they said they needed more diversity. So they, they drastically led the, the charge to change the admissions process of this system, drastically reduce the number of Asians at this, uh, at this high school. Um, so that combined with some of what were perceived as some racist tweets that were made by one of the school board members. Um, and I don't know the subject of that tweet, so I can't speak on that. But that was what eventually led to this recall, which eventually was very successful. Oh, uh, yeah, I was just saying, we don't have, unfortunately, a recall mechanism uh, in Ontario to recall school trustees, because there's a lot of work to be done here. <laughs> uh, so is, is the recall unique to California, or can any... Or, or all school trust school boards, let's say, across America, subject to recall. All school, well, actually, I can't say all, but I would say most are subject to recall, um, assuming you can get enough signatures. So, basically, what happened was there are just a few, mostly Chinese American volunteers in San Francisco, greatly concerned about the state of education were not paid anything, but went around and got petitions to recall these school board members. Um, and eventually they got enough signatures to call for a recall election. In this election, Richard, it's just, it's just incredible seeing how Asian Americans are changing the political landscape in America right now. Because if one thing an Asian American parent wants, it's good quality education for their kid. And when that's compromised, they're going to fight tooth and nail for their right 
to compete in the educational sphere. Well, thank God for the uh, the Chinese American volunteers on the school board that uh, that did this. We'll uh, we'll take a quick time out. Kenny Shu stays with us, president of Color Us United. He's also the author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. The sleeping giant is awake. Namely, fed up parents who want nothing but a good education for their children. And thankfully, a group of of volunteer Chinese-Americans up in the San Francisco Bay Area gathered signatures and they forced a recall and had three uh, of the worst progressive, radical progressive school trustees turfed. Uh, What makes it all the more remarkable is this is really the first recall in San Francisco in almost 40 years. There was a recall back in 1983. It was a failed attempt to remove then-Mayor Diane Feinstein. Uh, Kenny Shu is with us, president of Colorist United and author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Uh, how much of this, if anything, also had to do with things like critical race theory or even the school, school board's handling of the pandemic and mask mandates and so forth? I think definitely some of the... Um, some of the opposition to the uh, board members also came from the mask mandate. Um, critical race theory also thinks so as well. I mean, these are some of, these are the people, these are the school board members who would say in, you know, in board meetings that not just America is racist, but, you know, the system is so hopeless and oppressive that you have to listen, that white people have to exercise white fragility and have to listen and white people have to shut up. Those are the kinds of people that that they're trying to recall and hope, thank God it was successful. Um, so this is a broader, I think there are broader issues at hand over here, but in terms of what ignited the Asian opposition, I think the fight for just a truly excellent education system is really important. Um, and of course, um, that starts at the school board level. The school board in San Francisco, I believe, has seven members, and they turfed three of them. Why only three? Why not all seven? You know, I don't know that. I don't know. I can't. I can't speak to that. Um, my, I, I think from what I've read, um, and from what I've seen, um, these are some of the most, like the the most progressive, the leaders of the charge, um, or maybe you know, people just didn't have enough energy to recall all ten, um, but. Um, Hopefully they can replace them with people that are good. Exactly. Yes. Um, so to what extent do you think that this, what just happened in, in of all places, San Francisco, first a recall in, in 40 years, and, and even the first one wasn't successful. Uh, this one was. To what extent do you think, Kenny, this might be a harbinger of, of uh, things to come? I mean, when we look at what happened in, Van, uh, in, in Virginia, uh, which was again, you know, uh, the the the, um, the election of a, a, a Republican governor, and um, uh, again, people these were parents that were fed up with critical race theory and things like that. To what extent is this a harbinger of what's coming in the midterm elections? Can we make that e- extrapolation? Here's what we're seeing, Richard. We're seeing you were seeing anger anger in the, uh, of the education system in the United States. 
frustration finally turn into votes. That's what's happened. That's what you're seeing. The U.S. has an education system that has been mired in mediocrity for the past 40 years. We rank 29th in science, 34th across the entire world in international test scores. Our racial achievement gap has not closed. By the way, not because of racism. Uh, we actually spent more money, three times as much money on black kids that we did than we did 40, 40 years ago. And we still haven't closed that gap. There's a lot of frustration with our schools. As you can see, we add administrator after administrator to the public school system. Now we're adding diversity and inclusion officers and nothing is happening. Results aren't getting done. In fact, they're arguably getting worse. So this is the expression of anger and frustration of parents in the United States against the sclerotic educational bureaucracy in our country. This is what has the Democrats uh, in, a, in an absolute panic because the GOP, the Republican Party, has become the party of parents. Uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty huge coalition. Uh, Kenny, how can we find out more and support Color Us United? Absolutely. And you know what? We're on the front lines. We're standing up for these parents as well. Basically, we're standing for a race blind America. We think fixation on race is not a solution to our country. We think fixation on racism is not a solution to our country, our country's problems. Um, and uh, we will stand up for you if you're at a workplace or at a school and they're oppressing you for your, you know, because you're a privileged race or because you said certain things. Um, go to our website, colorrestunited.org, uh, sign up, leave us a tip, we'll investigate it, support us if you can, uh, make a donation to us, colorrestunited.org, we fight for a race-blind America. And how do we get a copy of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy? Oh, you can, you can buy An Inconvenient Minority, uh, which is about how Asian Americans inconvenience this racial narrative that we have. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. Any great work as always. Thank you for your insights. I appreciate it. Always, Richard. Thank you. Kenny Shu, president of Color Us United, colorusunited.org. All right. Let's get the uh, the latest on the, uh, the tense situation between Ukraine and Russia. U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis joins us next. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. So what's happening between Russia and Ukraine? Is it war? Will Russia pull back? Well, the, the uh, situation continues to look pretty grim. Lieutenant Colonel Robert L. McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, airborne ranger, infantry officer with service in four infantry divisions on three continents and the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism and The Deeper State joins us now. Bob, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So what's the latest? What are we looking at here? Well, uh, not very good news from the from the east. Uh, the Moscow responded to the U.S. security proposals uh, that uh, Mr. Blinken uh, proposed about two weeks ago, and they basically said uh, no. Uh, they're going to implement the military technical measures, which they don't define, 
but what we've seen over the last 24 hours, Richard, uh, is very disturbing. Uh, we've certainly seen provocations in the Donbass area. Yeah, Zelensky, uh, the president there in Ukraine, says that uh, the separatists were shelling a kindergarten uh, in all things. And then, of course, uh, Moscow is continuing to press the idea that there's a genocide going on in the Donbass area. And uh, it's speculated that it's going to be used as a pretext to, in to invade. Uh, we'll see. And of course, today, uh, we saw the Kremlin decided they were going to expel a U.S. deputy chief of mission and expect by tomorrow morning there'll be a U.S. response uh, in kind. And of course, there were an additional 7,000 fresh combatants that joined the Russian forces surrounding Ukraine. And uh, uh, elsewhere, there have been at least three provocations of near miss between U.S. and Russian aircraft. You know, all that having uh, an indication that this is not de-escalating, but escalating. Uh, how unpopular or popular would this war be in in Russia, let's say the southwestern Russia? Well, I think it would be unpopular. Um, yeah, that's one of the reasons that Biden, in his address on Tuesday, you know, spoke directly to the Russian people, said, you know, you really don't want this. Uh, it will be bloody and costly, which is very true. Uh, you know, keep in mind, not all that far away in the Caucasus, the Russians have dealt you know, severely with uh, those residents uh, in their own internal uh, conflicts. And the Russians have been provocative in the stands and elsewhere. Uh, so it's, it's something really in the mind of Putin, who uh, is very serious about you know, not only sensing the weakness in Biden, but also sensing the weakness in, in NATO to collect behind uh, what it promises to do. Uh, I don't know that uh, he believes them. And obviously, in their response uh, to the you know, letter that Blinken sent and to the response to uh, Schultz, who was over there a couple of days ago, and Macron the week prior, uh, that uh, he doesn't really think they're unified, uh, as indeed uh, the NATO people have been um, pro procrastinating, you know, have, have been really you know, prophesying that, yeah, we'll be a tough adversary if you indeed move forward. And you know, as I've been telling people, uh, Richard, and certainly the, the, the stage is set. Uh, the Russians have deployed into tactical assembly areas. Now, uh, they can't keep them there indefinitely just because of supply and maintenance and the like. Uh, but I would imagine over the next week, uh, there are plenty of opportunities. Now, the, the weather isn't the best. The weather in uh, Kiev uh, has been a little below freezing at night and quite a bit above freezing during the day, and there's been rain. So it would be a muddy mess, but you know, with attack helicopters forward, with armor forward, uh, as a commander, I would now be looking for the location of the artillery and the rockets. And if I begin to see uh, SU-25s uploading bombs and positioning of artillery units uh, on the border along avenues of approach, which we've already identified, then I will begin to believe uh, that the attack is imminent. How quickly would the Russians be able to overpower Ukraine? I think they can be in Kyiv uh, probably within two days. 
uh, you know, even though there are a lot of reservists and active forces, uh, their arms are not all that great. Uh, they have limited artillery. They have some ancient tanks. Uh, they have some of the anti-armor equipment, but I've fired a lot of anti-armor equipment, and a tank is a terrifying thing to go against. And so I would not underestimate uh, what I've seen with the Russians in the past, that they'll, they'll lickety-split all the way into Kiev, uh, or at least in the Nipper, and say, look, uh, you do what is necessary, but uh, we're taking over. Now, I'd also be looking for engineering equipment. What, one thing that I haven't seen are, are bridges, uh, por uh, portable bridges that would be used to cross some of the the key obstacles in their way, and of course, other engineers to clear any minefields that the Ukrainians would have put out. So those things are what a, a, a good um, tactical person would look for. Now, I've maneuvered armored units in Europe, but it was in Germany. Uh, but I've also been to Ukraine. I know what the terrain is like. So I have a pretty good idea as to what might uh, actually come down if they do attack. Uh, Bob, final question. What is the potential for this to uh, spread beyond um, an altercation between Russia and Ukraine? Well, that's what I'm mostly concerned about, Richard, uh, that you know, there would be some sort of provocation. Of course, there were three near misses with aircraft. Uh, you know, and mistakes are made in wartime uh, because boundaries are not as clear cut as we'd like them to see. So uh, I would say there is a chance they, they could uh, drift into you know, Bulgaria, Romania. Uh, they could shoot at an aircraft that is a reconnaissance aircraft that's not over a particular area. Uh, so there is a chance of mistake. Um, I, I would hope we're doing everything to prevent it. I just have time for one more, actually, now that I think of it. And is is what is Putin's uh, uh, objective here? Regime change? Does he want to uh, basically pull Ukraine back into uh, the greater Russian Federation? Well, you know, his announce is to keep him out of NATO and, of course, you know, keep arms away from the border of Russia. Uh, he, you know, he's always been a, a big... Uh, Russia-Ukraine empire guy uh, would like to resurrect uh, aspects of the former Soviet Union. So he certainly wants a buffer. And of course, uh, he's argued with the West about being left out of the security structure, the infrastructure that came out of World War II. And that was by purpose, but um, yeah, he doesn't like that. So he wants to renegotiate that. And I think that's part of what the statement that he sent back to Washington uh, said, though they haven't published it as yet. All right, Bob, we'll follow this obviously very, very closely. Thank you so much for your time as always. Thank you, Richard. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired and the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, The Deeper State and Alliance of Evil. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, Brandon, and Nick. Welcome aboard, Nick. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. Be well, find joy, hold fast, be kind, but push back. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.
That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.